Shushbox Podcast, a safe space for self-expression, healing, and empowerment. Brought to you by Chani Ra, writer and artist. Self-love and embodiment coach, Jacqueline Michelle. And Sunita, founder of Shushbox, the wellness platform supporting survivors of sexual trauma. Well, 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 here we are for the very first episode of the Shushbox podcast. Today's episode is hosted by me, Sunita, the founder of Shushbox. And we're going to be joined by Joyce Short and Nina Lucas from the Consent Awareness Network. We'll be talking about the importance of defining consent and what that actually means. So let's get to it. I'm Joyce Short. And I'm the author of Your Consent, The Key to Conquering Sexual Assault. Uh, It's actually my third book on the subject of sexual assault, but it's the book that is really the basis for the laws that we're suggesting to legislators across the U.S. and around the world. I'm also the founder and director of the Consent Awareness Network, and I've produced a, uh, I've presented a TEDx talk on consent uh, and um, uh, working with legislators. Our mission basically is to help society understand what consent actually is and to work with legislators in order to define consent properly in our laws. And I am Nina Lucas. I am the chief of staff of the Consent Awareness Network. So I work uh, closely with Joyce on all kinds of matters, both in the back of the office and in the front. (laughs) And I am also a consent outreach ambassador for the state of Pennsylvania. In other words, she's my right arm, my left arm, and everything in between. (laughs) How did you both come into working within this space? Well, I uh, began doing this uh, over a decade ago, uh, and uh, it took me quite some time actually to get to it. Uh, I was sexually assaulted. In fact, I was sexually assaulted all three ways covered by model penal code. And I think once that happens to a person, uh, particularly me, uh, it makes me very curious and and concerned about why our laws do nothing about it. Why we have so much sexual assault, why there's nothing that actually supports survivors of sexual assault, why we have so much confusion about the issue. So I researched it and found that consent is simply not defined in our laws. Not only is it not defined properly, it's not defined, period. Uh, And the end result is that it creates a tremendous amount of confusion and makes it very difficult to prosecute offenders. And as for me, um, like many activists and advocates, I got into this work because something bad happened to me. And um, in my research, just like Joyce, I was inspired. I wanted to understand um, how this was not covered in the law or was covered in the law. And so I did a lot of things. I did research. I consulted attorneys. And then I learned very sadly that uh, based on the bad legal language in in basically every law everywhere, um, I could not pursue justice for myself. 
And um, that just led me to following Joyce uh, more closely and then actually transferring, uh, transitioning rather into, into working with Joyce because this is something about which I feel very strongly. Um, and I don't want what happened to me to happen to anyone else. And so that's what has brought me to the work and which is why I'm here today. Thank you so much for both sharing um, your stories and the passion that you're putting into the work that you're doing and so needed and so appreciated. You know, I don't know if you hear it enough when we're working in this space as survivors ourselves. Sometimes when you hear other people explaining the reasons why they got into it, we're all just trying to change the world and feel better and help people and, and provide the things that we didn't have when we went through these experiences. So thank you so much for both sharing and for the work that you're doing. So yeah, let's talk about consent, more about consent. How can we codify consent? I know this is something that you talk about often, um, codifying consent, but what does that mean to codify consent? Uh, it actually means getting legislators to write penal law that defines consent properly in the laws, which is not an easy thing to do. Uh, there are laws all around the world that are that uh, you know deal with sexual assault many different ways, and they're basically putting a band-aid on poor, uh, very poor understanding of what rape actually is. Rape began. Uh, back in um, in uh, the co- the concepts, the legal concepts of rape began back in the Roman era, and back then uh, the uh, rape of a vir- um, of a taxpaying citizen. The woman had to be a virgin taxpaying, uh, the virgin daughter of a taxpaying citizen, uh, because her chastity was the property of her father, and her father it was a uh, commodity that her father basically sold off at the high, to the highest bidder. And then her husband uh, became the owner of her chastity. And the violation was not against the woman. It was against the father who had lost a valuable property. And even if the woman had consented to the sexual conduct, because the father had not consented, the offender could be put to death. And, for, um, and so that's, that was basically the beginning of how law approached the matter of sexual assault and rape. And ever since then, our legislators have put little band-aids here and there. Um, uh, I think the most horrific chain, uh, the horrific, what uh, came down century after century, generation after generation, was that a rape became a violent act. And the woman had to resist uh, with every bit of strength that she had. And if she didn't resist, that uh, she was, uh, she was uh, culpable in her own demise. And uh, so then we had to try to offset that. And we've begun to do so. But the reality is that consent is freely given knowledgeable and informed agreement. And once we recognize that it's freely given knowledgeable and informed agreement, then we can recognize that it's the influence that creates that agreement that determines whether or not consent actually takes place. Because if someone uses what I call the three F words that should never occur in sex and they're force, 
fear, and fraud. So if someone uses force or fear or fraud in order to elicit your agreement, you're really not consenting because consent is freely given knowledgeable and informed agreement. Yet our laws don't say so. And that's why we have so much victim blaming in our laws. Uh, the victim blaming actually is ingrained in our laws. In fact, in many of our laws, it says that the words and actions or the words and conduct of the victim determine whether or not consent takes place. And that's a fallacy because in many instances, uh, even though the woman is agreeing, uh, she's agreeing or the victim is agreeing and let's get it straight right from the beginning. Uh, although it affects more, uh, although rape and sexual assault affects more women than it does men, the reality is that men can be raped and sexually assaulted as well. So when I say victim, I mean both female and male victims. Uh, and uh, when you're using force or fear or fraud, that person could be complying with you which is a form of agreement. It's a, it's a form called assent, agreement on the face of it, but they're not freely giving knowledgeable and informed agreement because you've undermined their ability to do so. And that's what we really need to get our laws to say. How do we do it? We, we need to enlighten society so that they understand this principle and we have to get society to uh, demand that the legislators that represent them uh, uh, create and enact laws that protect them. And that's not an easy thing to do also. Uh, because, oh, yeah, I mean, you look at our, our lawmakers from, from the very top down, right? Look at Donald Trump, who's been accused of all kinds of horrific uh, sex acts against women, some of the minors. Uh, and look, Right now, I, I live in New York State, and we have uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo, who has been accused of harassing women uh, consistently for many, many years, and uh, he's never been accused of a rape against a woman, uh, but inappropriate touch uh, is the accusation, uh, and unwanted sexual advances, things that are not consented to by his victim. So now you have a person who's the top legislator in the state, the top legislator in the country, and you wonder why we're unable to do anything about it. It's because our legislators want it this way. Our legislators, in many instances, are as capable as anybody else or as culpable as anybody else uh, because they also don't comprehend the meaning of consent and really don't want anybody to understand it because they would be found culpable. So the other thing is that they don't want to, uh, they don't want to change the law because a considerable, a considerable part of their base that elects them or reelects them don't want to be found culpable either. And what a legislator cares about most of all, is being reelected. And so they're not going to do what it takes in order to make their mark on sexual assault. Uh, they're simply going to go with the flow, uh, put another Band-Aid on, and uh, wash their hands of it. 
Uh, we need a transformational change that codifies, in other words, it turns it into law, what the actual definition of consent really is, freely given, knowledgeable, and informed agreement. What I leave out, Nina? <laughs> oh, nothing. I just wanted to build upon something that you said, because obviously our sexual assault laws um, are, are replete with very poor legal language. Um, um, our contention, of course, is that you know they don't um, define consent properly. But another issue with our laws is that, um, and you could probably read through any kind of penal code, there's a gruesome list of all the ways the law says you can be sexually assaulted. And if your particular assault does not appear on those lists, then it is as good as saying nothing happened to you, or indeed nothing that is legally sanctioned as, as a crime happened to you. So that's another issue that we're trying to bring awareness to, um, just like uh, murder or theft, there are an infinite number of ways and means one can uh, be stolen from or killed. We don't have that laundry list in, um, in the law for those crimes. So um, it's problematic that um, people are victimized and some of them can't even appeal to any kind of um, judicial system uh, to receive justice. And I think that Joyce can elaborate on that some more with regard to their stories. And, um, you know, we kind of think, I think, you know, if it walks like a duck, it's a duck, right? <laughs> um, and there's so many sexual assaults that go unpunished because they're just not listed in the law as being against the law. The, we have another relic from the Roman era called nulla penne sine lege. Uh, it's Latin and it means... Uh, basically, uh, without penalty, uh, there's no crime, right? Uh, if you, uh, with that, without law, uh, then it's, it's nothing. It's not, uh, it's, there's nothing that we can punish, right? And uh, so sine lege, uh, nulla, nulla pena sine lege, uh, makes it possible for all of these little legal loopholes to fall through the cracks, right, uh, where a person does not get assaulted in a specific manner that has been specifically indicated in the law. And for that reason, it's not prosecutorial. So if we define the meaning of consent, it's like putting a polyurethane coating over a Swiss cheese umbrella, right? Uh, our laws look right now like a Swiss cheese umbrella, uh, full of legal loopholes. And if we coat that Swiss cheese umbrella with a coating of polyurethane, then nothing penetrates. And that's basically what consent or defining consent does. And here in New York, we've actually introduced the bill not only to cover sexual assault, but to cover all crimes because the meaning of consent never changes. It's always freely given knowledgeable and informed agreement. And whether it has to do with your, uh, with your property, uh, whether it has to do with your uh, signing a consent form for your COVID, uh, for your, uh, uh, COVID vaccination, whether it has to do with putting your information on the internet under general data protection regulation, which is international law, uh, 
we recognize that consent is freely given knowledgeable and informed agreement. And our penal codes have to recognize that the same definition for consent that determines whether or not somebody steals from you or someone inappropriately uh, gives you a shot uh, tells you that it's an allergy shot, but is really uh, injecting you with the vaccine for COVID, right? Uh, you are entitled to freely giving knowledgeable and informed agreement. And uh, so by doing so, we can establish really uh, an, in one broad stroke what uh, legal, you know, the actual legal definition for consent so that it applies to all things. And I also just wanted to add one thing as well. We did introduce this bill in New York State, and we're very excited about it. It's Bill A6540A. Um, we had some legal research done, and it was determined that the word consent is mentioned in New York State Penal Code 162 times. However, it does not have a definition in that code. Just by way of example, there are definitions in New York Penal Code for words like office or person, okay? But there is no definition for consent. And consent is a part of um, an element that has to be considered in many crimes. Um, I was kind of amused to find out in New York State, the word consent is used in the arson laws in that you cannot burn another person's property without their consent. So, you know, it is a, a matter of law everywhere, not just in um, sexual assault crimes. Um, it would, of course, cover and help aid in protections of human and sex trafficking, um, cult and religious abuse. Um, there's all kinds of things that it would, would assist in, um, in tandem with um, sexual assault. There are in... in um uh, in penal code, there are both provisions and definitions. And the provisions tell us how to act. Or in penal code, they basically tell us how not to act. Uh, and uh, if you violate a provision, then you've committed a crime. However, even though they're telling you that you need consent, they're not telling you what consent is. So uh, there are also... Uh, sections of penal code where they can uh, that contains the definitions and the definitions are then applied in the provisions so that those cases can be handled uniformly here in the United States uh, it's uh, amendment uh, the 14th amendment guarantees equal protection under the law to everyone so now when you go into a trial, uh, if the definition is not clear, then the jury has to, uh, has to come up with their own definition of the term. So now here you have a law that says, uh, if you don't have consent, a crime took place. But if you're not defining consent, then, then how do you have equal protection under the law? And so it's absolutely necessary to have consistency in that definition so that everyone gets equal protection under the law. You know, in the um, Weinstein case, the jury asked for the definition and the judge told them, use your common sense. 
In the Cosby case, the jury asked for the definition and the judge told them, use your common sense. It's extremely common for sexual assault and rape jurors to ask, what's the definition? And we have to have consistency in order to have equal protection under the law. And that's why it's so vitally important uh, to do this and to get consent defined properly uh, under the law. Wow, absolutely. Yeah, when you explain it so thoroughly like that, it's almost uh, because everything that's put into place, like you were saying, it's um, senior figures who are almost blocking this codifying of consent. So how can the general public, um, I know you mentioned just there the bill, how can we um, as a society and the general public support helping getting consent codified because it's clearly needed and you know it would benefit so many different areas within the law so what could we do as a general public to support one of the things that people should uh, be aware of is that when we approach legislators uh, one of their first questions to us is always where is it written uh, no legislator really wants to be the first uh, they depend on uh, being able to point to other legislation and say, look, they did it in such and such place, so obviously it's the correct thing to do. We need to do that here as well. But quite frankly, there is no state or territory that actually defines consent properly in the laws. And so it, it requires really reinventing the wheel uh, and establishing that as the uh, you know the, the uh, blueprint uh, so that other states and other territories and other jurisdictions can follow suit. So even though our bill is currently pending in New York, the reality is that passing that legislation will echo throughout the halls of justice across the United States and around the world. So I don't care where the person lives or where they come from. Uh, if you pick up uh, the phone and call the legislators of New York. We have uh, that information on our webpage, and I'm sure you'll you'll be uh, posting the uh, links to our webpage uh, and make those calls to those legislators. We have a um, we also have a petition that uh, is very easy to get to from anywhere in the in the world, and signing on to our petition to uh, codify consent, that also would be a tremendous benefit for us. Anybody that has any connection with people who are high profile, like Oprah Winfrey, or... Uh, Shout out you know, to Oprah. <laughs> yeah, if you, can, if you can help us reach Oprah, Oprah Winfrey, that would be a godsend. Uh, or anybody with a very, very high profile uh, to help us get this message across. You know, we've worked with a lot of the uh, survivors, both from, uh, from Cosby, from uh, Weinstein. Uh, in fact, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we were in Philadelphia. Uh, Bird Milliken and I worked to, together to actually um, create the survivor's vigil uh, that took place on the Independence Mall. And we got some uh, press coverage it from Fox News, from NBC, from, uh, from 
ABC. Am I am I correct, Nina? I think ABC, NBC, and Fox News. Yes, everybody but CBS, I believe. Yeah, uh, and uh, Jessica Mann. When we actually introduced the uh, information in a press conference in New York uh, that same day, Jessica Mann was uh, interviewed uh, in California by News Nation and uh, supported our efforts to codify consent in uh, in the New York bill. So, you know, we're little by little, we're, we're getting the word out there, but the, you know, anybody that has a way for us to reach the uh, broad screen uh, networks and media, uh, that would really be, you know, just fantastic support for us. Watch my TEDx talk, read my book. Uh, we need to enlighten society. Both of those things would really help. And the last, of course, is that we have a cartoon for kids. And the cartoon, you know, we need to raise a generation of consent-aware adults. And it starts by teaching them what consent is at a very, very early age. Our cartoon is not of a sexual nature. It's simple things like going to the park, playing in the sandbox, riding the swings, eating brownies. Uh, it's not something that will, uh, will uh, taint your child's brain forever and ever. Uh, in fact, it will enhance their concept of what consent is so that they can apply it properly to all things as they, as they grow and become romantically involved or uh, sexually active. And so uh, showing, you know, uh, showing them the cartoon for kids called Your Consent for Kids would very simply help them to grasp what consent is so that they can learn and apply it to all things as they're, as they're maturing. I wanted to add, yes, Joyce, of course, we need to educate people. We know that education is very important. Um, I have two points about this. The first being, um, I'm online a lot. I'm on social media. And I want to say that so much of what is taught in consent education, so much of what people think they're defining consent as, it is not backed up in the law. So, you know, you may think that, um, you know, you're being taught something that um, is codified. It is not. Um, and I also want to let you know that whenever I'm speaking to people about consent, um, the same thing always happens. And I want to say also, when we meet with every legislator, no one knows that we are unprotected. No one knows that consent is not defined in the law. Everybody takes it for granted. And that's probably because, you know, we're becoming more consent aware with movements like Me Too and, and, and Time's Up and, uh, you know, women's marches and things like that. And, and those are all really valuable to raise awareness. But the question is, what is the action item? What are we going to do? And the fundamental thing is to have the proper definition of consent encoded in the law <laughs> so that when, um, you know, consent education is going on, you know, whether it's in school or um, in the workplace, that we can always look to the proper definition of consent as explained in penal code. And this is immensely important, uh, just letting people know that this is an issue. I wanted to say in Europe, you know, everybody's talking about the Istanbul Convention, where I think it was 2017, where it was determined that um, 
one of the things, the takeaways was uh, sexual assault did not have to be violent to be considered sexual assault. That's an old trope, and we know that this is not true. Um, and, and the Istanbul Convention basically said, if you're having sex without your consent, uh, it is sexual assault. That's a great thing to say. But guess what? The Istanbul Convention says nothing about the definition of consent. And I am seeing things that are going on. You know, I think Spain just did this. And I'm not exactly sure which countries ratified or brought that into their, um, their legal uh, penal codes. But, you know, the celebration is short-lived. It's great to have consent being discussed and even the word in the law, but if it's not defined, we just can't sit on our laurels and say, this is great, it's going to change things. Absolutely not, because the arguments will come, what is consent? The questions will still come, and that'll be a haggling back and forth and back and forth. And, um, you know, we want to avoid this victim blaming and shaming that's endemic everywhere that, you know, the words and the actions of the victim have anything to do with whether or not a sexual assault took place, because of course, it's solely the behavior of the offender that determines that. So the laws need to be further clarified. Uh, More education has to be in place that we're vulnerable anywhere. Consent is not defined in the law. You're even seeing today uh, that there has been a, uh, a shift from no means no to yes means yes. I was going to say that, actually. Um, The whole discussion of the no means no and yes means yes, it's a lot more, it's not as simple. It's not simple because uh, even though you say yes, if you've been forced or you've been uh, scared uh, or you've been uh, defrauded into saying yes, then your yes is not consent. It's a form of agreement. Uh, the form of agreement is called assent, and that means agreeing on the face of it. But assent, in fact, in the state of Missouri, uh, their statute states, assent is not consent when induced by force, duress, or deception, which is simply another way of saying whisper or fraud. Uh, and um, uh, the other type of agreement that oftentimes is mistaken for consent is acquiescence. And when you look at what Harvey Weinstein did, Harvey Weinstein had a power differential that he misused in order to, uh, in, in, in order to make people uh, comply with his wishes. And under that circumstance, they're not freely giving their agreement. And even though they may have said yes, it wasn't because they were freely uh, freely giving their agreement. It was because they were fearful. Uh, and uh, so, just because you say yes doesn't mean that you uh, that you're consenting. Uh, saying yes simply means you're assenting. However, the actions of the offender, the influence they had in why you said yes, is what determines whether or not you consented. And yet you're seeing today, in fact, we have a bill here in New York that's pending, that's going to actually state that the words and conduct of the victim determine whether or not they consented. And that's wholeheartedly uh, inappropriate. The words and actions of the victim when they're influenced by force, fear, or fraud, or anything else that muddles their mind such as drugs or alcohol, cannot possibly be construed as consent. 
Uh, and just to go back to real quickly what um, Nainu was saying about legislators not knowing, when we called on the legislators of Pennsylvania, which is another state here in the United States, it's the state in which Cosby was convicted and now that conviction has been dismissed. I'm not going to say overturned because it hasn't been overturned. Uh, it was, he was released on a technicality. Uh, the findings still are consistent uh, and the findings were that he was guilty. When we visited the legislators in Pennsylvania, and we did that uh, very shortly after uh, Cosby was convicted, uh, we brought uh, Cheryl Carmel, who was the foreperson for the Cosby jury that convicted him, with us. Uh, and I'm just really wanted to state this to uh, support and uh, demonstrate uh, what Nina mentioned about uh, legislators really not being aware of what's going on in their own states, in their own legislature, uh, in, the, in their own penal code. Uh, the, um, uh, the great news was that Cheryl Carmel was a cybersecurity expert. And so when the judge, uh, Stephen O'Neill, told the jury, uh, your uh, reasonable people use your common sense, Cheryl was uh, acutely aware of General Data Protection Regulation, GDPR, which regulates consent on the internet. And uh, under GDPR, it states that consent is freely given knowledgeable and informed agreement. So we're not making this up, folks. Uh, it also states this in Nuremberg Code. Uh, but uh, Cheryl was with us and uh, explained to the legislators, and I think we had uh, either the legislators or their representatives of five different legislators uh, with us that day around the conference room table. And when Cheryl explained that the judge had said, you're reasonable people, use your common sense, their jaws dropped. They literally had no idea that this was going on. And subsequently, uh, when, when I watched the, uh, the um, appeal hearing, it became very obvious to me that the judges in that hearing were looking for the legal loophole to let him out. Uh, and had we had a definition for consent, when Andrea Constan had approached the police way back when she was preyed on by Cosby, then they would have had the uh, they would have had the legal support necessary to go after Cosby and her arrest him at that time and to prosecute him and convict him at that time. But instead, because we don't have the definition of consent, we have the mess that's been created out of the Cosby hearing and uh, the Cosby case. Well, I'm a resident of Pennsylvania, and it is, uh, of course, the reason why I could not pursue justice, because it would not be considered um, under the way the penal code is, is written. And so I also just wanted to say this whole yes means yes thing, we're just trying to get rid of it. We're trying to educate people about it. Um, it's very problematic. Um, I actually have on my consent TikTok, a funny little video about it, you know, under a minute, it can kind of 
let people know why <laughs> it's, it's not a good thing. Um, and, you know, you can check that out if you, if you care to. But we're definitely trying to get yes means yes um, out of the conversation and to educate people as to why. Yeah, it's blame the victim language. It puts the responsibility on the shoulders of the victim. I'm going to give you another little scenario. Uh, I was walking up the street uh, when I went to vote uh, way back uh, in the presidential election, and there was a, uh, a wallet sitting on the sidewalk. Nobody else was around. Uh, I looked all over, you know, to say, hey, buddy, you, you know, you, you lost your wallet. Nobody, nobody in sight. I picked up the wallet uh, because I knew that as a responsible human being, I had a responsibility to try and restore this wallet to its rightful owner. And, uh, you know, there are people that think, oh, okay, you've got, uh, you know, that person's agency. They relinquish their agency by dropping the wallet on the sidewalk. And that gives you, uh, that gives you, uh, perfect right to, uh, you know, to uh, keep that wallet. And by the way, there was $150 in this wallet. Um, and I went to great lengths to uh, get this wallet back to the owner. Uh, but, you know, let's say uh, you were, uh, let's apply that now to what happens in sexual assault cases. And people will say, well, she was, uh, uh, she was wearing the wrong clothes or she was being promiscuous or she was being flirty or blah, blah, blah. They didn't ask for consent, but it was her behavior that, uh, you know, or, you know, if you go onto a school, uh, onto a bus and you leave your wallet, uh, you leave your pocketbook open and somebody reaches in to take your wallet, right? Um, they're an offender. But if you've done something that they're going to use as an excuse to sexually assault you, uh, that's going to be what the defense uh, uses in order to prosecute and to defend their client in a courtroom. And uh, rape and sexual assault is the only type of crime in which this takes place, right? In, in uh, theft, if I had kept that man's wallet, I would have been at fault. I would have committed a crime. But in sexual assault, it's not a crime. And people call that a person's agency. Wrong. Uh, no one has the right to sexually assault you. They know whether they've used force, fear, fraud, or whether you are uh, incapacitated and unable to give consent. They know that it's what they do and not what you do that determines whether or not you've consented. Yeah, that's so important to mention that it's not what you know, the victim does because there's so many reactions that people have in these scenarios, you know, like the freeze response, you know, people hear about the fight or flight, but people freeze in these circumstances or the fawning response. So it's not about how we react as survivors. It's all about how the aggressors are behaving towards the, uh, the victims. Exactly. And it's really perpetuating this victim blaming culture. You know, in, in fact, it originated from the law because this is what most laws do. They're directing you to look to the words and actions of the victim. And so basically it's, it's incorporated, it's encoded in our law to uh, blame the victim. I read a quote that um, rape is the only crime where the victim becomes the accused. Yeah. And it goes back to nulla penne sine lege. 
what's not expressed by law is permissible. And that should never be. Uh, we should have one understandable concept of consent. Uh, and that concept should be applied in all law, including sexual assault. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, wow, going through it all, you know, the reason of why it's so important for consent to be codified, you know, to get rid of these loopholes. I mean, even to think that um, in a courtroom, they would say, use your common sense. What is that? What is common sense? It's not, there is no commonality in common sense. So one person's common sense is completely different to another person. So it's almost... Um, so shocking to hear, to be honest, so shocking to hear that that's how it is. And I think this going back to enlightening society and legislators who just don't, who are unaware that consent is not codified. So yeah, I think it's super important, the work that you're doing. And um, thank you so much for, you know, speaking so beautifully about it and sharing the work that you're doing. And we'll absolutely from our side, um, you know, share more details on how, how people can um, support the bill that you're passing in New York. And yeah, like you say, if we can get it done in one state and then use that as an example for other states in the US, uh, around the world, I think these are the action points moving forward. There's been a lot of awareness with, like you were saying, Me Too movement, Time's Up, but what, what is the next step? And exactly. I, just, I just feel from watching you over the last, you know, connecting with you online and hear, connecting with you so many more times and hearing what you're doing, I'm like, this is the way forward. This is, you know, this is what needs to be happening. Um, That's right. Me, me, me too and Time's Up, uh, you know, these um, hashtags have really raised awareness that we have uh, rampant sexual assault in society, but they're not a solution. Uh, you know, telling your story, that's not the solution. The solution is getting our legislators to take the action necessary to define consent so that, pe so that people understand what is and what is not a sexual assault. Yeah, me too and time's up, encourage education. And again, education is good, but if what is being taught or uh, represented um, is not also, um, you know, working in the law, if it's not in the law, all this education and awareness is, is um, you know, falling on a lot of deaf ears. So um, that's why it's so important to have a consent education be in concert with the law. And that's not possible now. And that's why we're saying this is the next step. The next step is um, getting the law to understand what consent is so we can have protection if something happens uh, and you need to seek justice and prevention um, letting people know uh, what consent is. I mean, you know, offenders are very, serial offenders, sexual assault offenders are very aware uh, what the law says and what it does not. And that's why Joyce was speaking about, you know, the legal loopholes or, you know, it's like a Swiss cheese umbrella. They understand where there's wiggle room and uh, they exploit it. I was called one morning by a, uh, uh reporter in St. Louis, Missouri, another state here in the United States. Uh, and uh, he said, uh, Miss Short, do you know that your, uh, that your webpage was used by a federal prosecutor uh, in order to lock up a serial rapist? 
I thought, oh my God, you know, I had no idea. When you're, when you're writing a blog or you're writing, you have no idea what the, what the actual outcome of these things are. And I tell you, I was sitting here and the, and the tears started rolling down. There were tears of happiness. Uh, but uh, what I found out was this man had defrauded, uh, at the time there were six people that came forward. Uh, by the time they finished the, um, uh, the prosecution, 31 people had come forward, and he had uh, created a, a fraudulent way of addressing them that, uh, that um, undermined their ability to consent. And uh, uh, the federal prosecutor uh, called him a serial rapist, uh, but the federal prosecutor did not have a statute under which he could be prosecuted and the, uh, for, for rape. Uh, instead, they prosecuted him for cyber crimes because he did this on the internet. And so he was put away for 10 years. He got a 10-year sentence for committing cyber fraud, but he was not convicted of creating the sexual assault. And what the, um, what the, uh, prosecutor pointed out was this fellow knew exactly what he was doing. He read my blog and what she had written in the, uh, in the indictment for this fellow is that he had read my blog, but went ahead and did it anyway. And so he knew exactly how to get around the law that he wasn't going to be convicted of sexual assault Perhaps he didn't recognize that he would be convicted for a cyber crime. Uh, that might have been news to him. Uh, but just as Nina was saying, these people know exactly what the law consists of and how to get around it. Yeah, Joyce was talking about federal law. You know, of course, all of our states and territories have their own state laws, okay? But then there's federal law, which, you know, encompasses uh, the whole United States. And it's federal law, which is looked to in the military, in the United States military, as you know, there's a horrible, horrible scourge of sexual assault in our military. And um, I was reading something like, like actual rapes, one in four women in the military are subject to them. And so, and then of course, other sexual assaults as well. Yeah, one in two are just have, you know, sexual assault, as if that's any better. Um, so, that's another reason why uh, we're just fighting. We, we're hoping to make some, some leeway into you know, our federal laws as well, but um, they're, they're written in a very, very poor way. And most sexual assault laws are. I just also wanted to um, point out the, the non-consensual intimate image sharing. Uh, one of our uh, outreach ambassadors um, had um, an issue where her intimate images were disseminated by her partner without her consent. And she even went so far as to copyright the images so that it could be, you know, a, a, a cybercrime or, or, you know, she, she did everything she was supposed to do. But the way that these laws are written, and I believe in about 46 states have these laws now, some of them don't even mention the word consent. And all of them say that the posting of the image is not the crime. That's not what you consider without consent. That's not an issue. But what's to be considered to make this a crime is the intent of the offender. Like, oh, did you mean to embarrass somebody? Did you mean to hurt somebody? And 
you know, the person who is aggrieved, the victim, has to prove that that person did it with malicious intent. Well, good luck, okay? Because that is very, very uh, rarely uh, something that can be proven. And this particular victim, her offender was able to plead to disorderly conduct and was fined $10. And it's because the law is written poorly. Not only does it not contain consent, it makes the actual posting of the image beside the point. So in a nutshell, we have to define consent. (laughs) (laughs) We sure do. We We really do. The Shushbox Podcast is brought to you by the team at Shushbox. We are a wellness platform created by survivors for survivors. For more information, head to www.shushbox.com and check us out on Instagram at underscore shushbox.